0: By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults? Keep your servant also from willful sins, may they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
1: Good morning, Uh, my name's Carl, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, uh, we're going to be working through that psalm together, but uh, before we do that, let's pray and ask that God would uh, make himself known to us in his words. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that the heavens declare your glory and your word Uh, declares your glory and declares your goodness and father as we reflect on those things now as we reflect uh, on this song this uh, song of david written thousands of years ago lord we ask that you would uh, awaken our hearts to see your glory and to behold you to enjoy you and to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength lord we ask it for jesus sake amen Uh, I don't know about you, but I really love meeting people who are excited about something. Uh, They're they're so excited about something and they cannot help telling you about it. Uh, You know, the kind of people uh, who who the moment you ask them, you know, what what, what are you doing? What are you interested in? And they just just explode. Uh, You know, it could be stamp collecting. You think it's the most boring thing in the whole world. But they're just so on fire about stamps that uh, it just kind of infects you. It rubs off on you. Uh, it, it, it could be trains a uh, Carl, the, the Flying Scotsman. Let me tell you, Carl, about the Flying Scotsman, or you know whatever the the, the, the famous train is that they're excited about. Uh, it could be their work. It could be a hobby that they have. It could be a sport. And often that excitement sort of rubs off. I remember uh, that before I went to Bible college, I, I didn't care at all. I grew up in New South Wales, and I didn't care at all about the AFL. You know, we were rugby union, rugby league, and cricket. That was it. We didn't, we didn't even have soccer there, really, in those days. Uh, and then at Bible college, I met a guy who was just a passionate West Coast supporter. And uh, I see some, some brothers nodding. That's just great. Uh, and... Uh, And he was so excited about it that that it just kind of rubbed off. Uh, Or or a friend of mine who is just passionate about mountain bike riding and it just kind of rubbed off on me. I wonder if there are people that you know who you've met who are just so excited about something that it just flows out of them uh, and it rubs off on you. Well, whether it's worth being excited about stamps or trains or footy or mountain bikes, I guess is in the eye of the beholder. But in this psalm, King David uh, is writing about something, he's getting excited about something that really should excite us all and really that we want to rub off on us. He's getting excited about God. And the prayer this morning, my prayer, and his hope, I I think, as he writes this psalm, is that that excitement about God will just infect us uh, and encourage and enthuse us as well. Well, David begins by reflecting on God's glory in creation. He says in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. David says that if you want to see God's glory, all you have to do is to look up to look up at the sky, to look at the world around you. Uh, He says that God's glory is there for all of us to see. He says in verse 2, Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. Wherever you look and at whatever time of day you look, you can always see God's glory. It's always there. You can see it in the daytime, you can see it at nighttime, it gushes out, it's kind of like a a fountain, you know, spewing this water out. the, The creation just spews out this knowledge, this truth about God's glory. We can see it all around us. We can see it at whatever time, but we can also see it wherever we are. Verse 3 They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The sun and the moon don't speak, you know, you can't be really quiet and listen for the words. If you do, you, you won't hear much. They're not saying anything, but their testimony, what they say about God, what they tell us about God is everywhere. It spreads into all the earth. It, it covers the extent of the whole world. You can see God's glory here in Launceston. You can see God's glory in Africa or the Middle East, in America or in Asia or Antarctica. Everywhere you are at whatever time of day, you can see God's glory if you open your eyes to look. What is it exactly that we see when we look at the world? Or well, David gives us an example of that in the second half of verse 4. He says, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. David reflects on the sun, and he says, every morning it comes out in it's splendor. Every morning it's like a bridegroom on the day of their wedding. I, I love what I love about this psalm is that it's not the bride who gets the exciting, you know, the exciting press. It, everyone in this psalm is not going, oh look at the look at the bride bride coming out in her dress. It's the bridegroom. We need to we need to you know pick up more of this psalm. I think in uh, in our modern our modern world. Uh, but, but, but whether it's the bride or the groom, that's the idea of the sun coming out in its splendour every morning. You know, when, when a bride gets ready for her wedding day, or a bridegroom as well, they spend time preparing. They spend ages trying to find the right dress. They get, spend ages getting measured up. Whoever gets measured up for anything, any piece of clothing these days, but you get measured up for a dress for a wedding... And you have your hair cut, sometimes, sometimes I understand, they even get hairdressers to come, to come and do the hair of all the bride, brides and the bridesmaids. I hate having my hair done, I can't imagine that that would be a great, a great experience. But, th- but, th- but they spend all this time, their hair, their makeup, their dress, and out they come, it's the greatest day, it's the most, it's the most beautiful perhaps that they'll ever look, because it's the only time that they've put so much work into their appearance. And David says, every time that the sun comes up, that's what it's like. The glory of God on display, prepared by God, made beautiful by God. Every day it comes up in its beauty and every day it faithfully makes its track across the sky. It's like this highly tuned athlete running their race day in, day out, reliably, We never wake up, do we, in the morning and think, I wonder if the sun will come up today. I wonder if the sun will make it to the other end of the sky by the afternoon. It does it, we take it for granted. But what we take for granted is God's glory, God's majesty. But David rightly recognises that in those things, in those everyday occurrences that we see, we can behold the glory of God. We can see something wonderful, something amazing. And in fact, we can see far more today than David saw in his day. He didn't have telescopes. He could just go outside and look up at the stars and look up at the sun. But we can see things that he never dreamed of. We can see planets and stars and and galaxies that he never could have known existed. We can see into the depths of the ocean and discover creatures that he never could have imagined. We can see down to the atomic level. We can witness particles that, that no one ever never imagined. Some people uh, have suggested that as science explains more and more about the world, the need for God has diminished. It's as though the only reason that uh, that we need God is to explain the things that we can't understand. It's what people call the God of the gaps. God just fills in the gaps, the mysteries of the universe that we can't understand. But the God of the Bible is not a God of the gaps. The God of the Bible is the God who made everything. So the more that we understand about the universe the more incredible God becomes. In fact, the more that we understand about the universe, the more that science uncovers about the universe, the more ordered and fantastic we discover it to be. For example, you might not think much about this, but at the moment and every day of our lives, we are on a rock in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of nowhere, hurtling and spinning around through space. Uh, At this moment, you might feel like you're stationary, but we're actually spinning around at uh, 1,600 kilometres an hour. That's 1.3 times the speed of sound. You know, you might not think of yourself as breaking the the, the sound barrier, but, you know, relative to space, we are. But, the Earth also is hurtling around the Sun at an even more staggering 30 kilometres per second... At that speed you could get to Hobart in just under seven seconds. And this might not interest you, you but it interests me, you could get to Germany, the other side of the world, in nine minutes. It took me 30 hours last time I went. But not only that, our entire solar system is orbiting the centre of our galaxy at an even more staggering 220 kilometres an hour. Sorry, kilometres per second or 792,000 kilometers an hour. So at that speed, Hobart is less than a second away, 90 milliseconds, and Germany is about 75 seconds. That's about the time it takes to walk to the letterbox uh, and back again. That's That's astonishing, isn't it? We just take our world for granted. They're extraordinary speeds, and it gets even crazier than that, but I won't bore you with the details. It's extraordinary It shows the scale of God, the scale of the world that he made. But that's just one example, isn't it? I mean, that's just one example among millions. You can see God's glory everywhere. You don't have to look just at the universe, at the stars and the planets. You can see it, you might have been to devil's gullet and you see those plunging dolerite cliffs or if you climb uh, mount amos and look down over the top of wineglass bay on one of those beautiful still days and the colors that come out from the surface of the water or if you look out uh, the the window of an aeroplane you know if you're flying to melbourne and and uh, on the early morning flight uh, and and as you're flying the sun comes up over the horizon and you see those colors those rich colors You see it when you look at a flower. You see it when you uh, look at the waves breaking on the beach. You can see it when you look at your hand. The intricacy of all that God has made. Sometimes I like to just go outside at night and to uh, look at the stars or to look at the moon and to remind myself of the grandeur of God because it's so easy to, to forget, isn't it? It's so easy just to to look past it. Or just to look at my hand. To rem- remember that the intricacy of all that God has, has made. We live in a society that tells us that belief in God is madness. But this psalm flips it on its head and says that actually not believing in God is madness. Because the world proclaims the glory of God the wonder of God, the majesty of God, the wisdom of God. So we can look around every day, behold the glory of God and the world he's made. But David then switches gear in the second half of the psalm and he begins speaking about God's words, God's words in the Bible. He uses lots of different terms to describe God's law. Uh, He talks about statutes, precepts, commands, the fear of the Lord, decrees... But the kind of idea, they're just different ways of saying the same thing. Uh, The key idea is God's ways and God's instructions, God's words about himself and about his world. But look at what he says about God's instructions. He says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. God's law is 100% right. It's not mostly right. It's 100% right. It fits how we were made. It fits how we were made to live. It fits the world in which we live. And because of that, because it aligns with us and the world, to live according to it is refreshing, it's life-giving, it restores us to what we were supposed to be. Living out of sync with God's instructions, uh, out of sync with God's ways, like having a wheel out of alignment. You know, if your car wheel or your bike wheel is out of alignment, it wobbles around everywhere and it's tiring, it's frustrating, you can't go in the right direction... Uh, it, it, you know, if, you, if you're unlucky, it could just completely, you know, disintegrate. That's what it's like to live out of sync with God's world, to live out of sync with God's instructions. But when we're in line with the way that God created us, when we're in line with God himself, it's refreshing. He it gives us life. When you think of what will refresh you what is it that first comes to your mind i'm tired i need rest what will refresh me often we think of things like holidays and books netflix good food and undeniably in god's grace there's refreshment and joy in those things but David says that the key place, the key place that we will find refreshment is in living how God made us to live. It's in his words, is in his instructions. Then in verse 7, David says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. God's instructions, God's laws will never let you down. I can give you advice, and let me tell you the advice that I give you will be impeccable advice, it'll be great advice but it'll let you down. Your mum and dad might give you advice, but their advice will let you down. Your husband or your wife, your friend, your financial planner, they can all give you advice, but sooner or later their advice will be wrong and they'll let you down. But God never makes mistakes. His instructions in the Bible are always right. They're always good. They're always reliable. You can always trust them. You never need to worry, will this work out? It'll always work out. To live according to God's ways and purposes. And because of that, those instructions can make you wise. You can be the dumbest person in the room. You can fail maths. You can drop out of school. But if you know God's Word, if you know God's instructions, God's purposes in the Bible, and if you live according to those ways, then you are the wisest person in the world. Because God's instructions teach you how to live in God's world, in God's way, and in sync with God, who made you and loves you. Then verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. God's instructions not only give refreshment, they give joy. We're always on the lookout for things that give us joy, whether it's new cars, new things, new relationships, new experiences. And it's not wrong, again, to enjoy those things, but they can't bring us that deep and lasting joy that we want. We enjoy them for a bit, but then it just fades. But living according to God's plan and purpose for the world, living according to God's words is deeply satisfying. It brings us this deep joy that we long for. It fills our hearts in a way that nothing else can. Maybe you've experienced that joy from uh, living in God's words. I've been reading uh, lately through 2 Corinthians with uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, Every week we just read through a chapter or whatever it is, a section. Last Friday we read through uh, 2 corinthians chapter 4 my favorite chapter in the whole bible i don't know how many times i've read that or how many times i've preached in it i've written things about it as well you know i've spent lots of time in that chapter but i read it again and it just enriched my soul it just it it filled my heart it wasn't talking about easy things It was talking about suffering and hardship and challenge the cost of doing ministry for god But as my friend and I read it, we were so encouraged by God's words. It gave joy to our hearts. Maybe you've experienced that joy as well, to hear God's words again for the hundredth time. But boy, they're good. Boy, they give you joy. Boy, they reach down into your soul and satisfy that longing that you have that nothing else can quite fill Verse 8 continues The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's instructions are full of light. They're like the sun. They give us clarity by which we can see everything else. They shine light on our lives and our world so that we can see and understand things clearly. Without God's words from the Bible, we're like people living and stumbling in the dark. We can't see our way, we can't understand our world, we can't understand our lives. But God's Word gives us the light, gives us the clarity that we need to live by. And finally, in verse 10, God's words are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. People in my growth group will tell you that uh, I love a good biscuit or a good bit of cake... Uh, there's a bit of a running joke that I can never have just one biscuit every Tuesday that I always have to have two. One time they offered me a piece of cake and I was determined that night to just have one piece of cake and, I, and, I, and they said, do you want another piece of cake? I said, no, I've had one piece of cake, that's enough. Turns out I got twice as much cake as everyone else in the group but I didn't even know. <laughs> I lo- I, you know, I love a good bit of cake, I love a good biscuit you know, there's, there's fine things in, in the world to enjoy, isn't there? But David says that God's instructions are better than, than anything. Anything we can taste, anything we can imagine, anything we can experience. What's your favourite thing? What's your favourite thing in the whole world to do or to, to, to experience? David says it's better than that, better than gold. Better than Honey better than the finest food. Why are God's instructions so good? They're good, David says, because they warn us and there's reward in keeping them. By them your servant is warned, verse 11, in keeping them there is great reward. They warn us how not to live. They warn us about the things that will destroy our lives or destroy our relationship with God. But they're good because there's reward in keeping them. There's reward in keeping them because when we live according to God's ways... And God's Word, we're living in harmony with God. We're living in harmony with how God made us and how God made the world. And there's no greater joy, no greater delight than being in fellowship with our God and our Maker. The story that our society tells us uh, every day is that the best way that we can live, the most satisfying way that we can live is by looking inside ourselves, looking deep within ourselves and finding the deepest emotions and desires that we have, finding our inner identity and then living according to that. The world, our society tells us that that is the most satisfying way that we can live. And that sounds, on the surface of things, freeing and wonderful. I can be who I am. I can be who I want to be. But actually, it's this kind of inescapable prison it offers us this life, but it actually kills us. It offers this, this stability, but actually it, it, it builds our lives on the on the vicissitudes, the uncertainties of our daily feelings, our daily emotions, and it places the entire burden of constructing a world in our lives according to, to, to ourselves. It's no wonder the people are depressed and stressed, because it's an awful burden to carry. But this psalm offers us something so much better, something so much richer. It offers us to live according to God's ways, God's words. It offers us real life as God intended it to be. It offers us stability, a firm foundation. God, not us. It offers us an identity and purpose, not established within ourselves, but in something outside ourselves, bigger than us. It offers us something more stable than our daily emotions and desires. But, you know, every day we need to remind ourselves of those truths. Every day we need to remind ourselves of the things that this psalm teaches us. So you might think that the best and the most satisfying way is to, uh, to live. The most satisfying way to live is to, to, to embrace uh, whatever you see around you. Whatever you want, you buy it. Whatever you want to eat, you eat it. Whatever desire you have, you fulfill it. But the best way is not to live like that. The best way is not to fulfill every desire that you have. The best way is to live God's way. You might think that the best and the most satisfying way to live life is to give God just a little bit of your life and to keep the rest for yourself. But that's not the most satisfying way to live. The most satisfying way to live is, is is to give God everything, to hold nothing back. You might think that the most satisfying way to live is to watch, uh, you know, all those shows on Netflix that everyone else is watching. You imagine your life without them as hopeless and empty. There was an article the other day in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, about uh, how, uh, you know, st- television uh, tv streaming is 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 causing mental health challenges i thought oh, it must be because people are watching so much so much television no the article is about the article is about how hard it is for those people who struggle with depression to keep up with everybody else who's watching the shows on telly because they can't they can't watch more than an hour of television and so everyone else gets ahead of them i thought goodness me <laughs> is, that, is that the source of distress in our world We imagine our life without television as hopeless and empty. We think that it will give us the refreshment that we desire, but actually it doesn't come from that. The joy and the hope and the life that we so long for comes from living life as God intended it to be. So creation shows us God's glory, God's word shows us God's glory, It enlivens us and refreshes us and teaches us and gives us joy but those things those two things together the glory of God and the goodness of God in his word creates a problem. David reflects on those things and as he does he realizes that problem. He reflects on the situation and he realizes that he doesn't meet the mark. He doesn't he doesn't make the cut. He says in verse 12, "But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults." David realizes that mixed up in him are All kinds of errors and faults. And worst of all, he can't even see them all. He knows that there's sin living inside him, but but he doesn't even know where it is. That's how blind he is. He doesn't even know where to look. And so he does the only thing that he can do. He cries out to God, Lord, forgive me. Not just for the things that I know about, but for the things that I don't know about. Forgive me for everything. You might feel, this morning, very conscious of your failings, of your sinfulness. You might, like David, feel that there are things hidden in your heart that you can't name, that you can't discover, that you can't label. The miracle of the Gospel is that you can come to God through Jesus Christ and lay it all before Him and say, Lord, you have to forgive me, please forgive me. For all those things, even the things I don't know. You don't have to list every sin to be forgiven. You don't have to know what they all are. You can just cast yourself on the mercy of God. Alternatively, you might feel like you're doing pretty well. Like you've kind of worked out most of the sins in your life. You've kind of got rid of most of them. But the Bible says, if that's how we think, then we're deceived. If we claim to be without sin, the Apostle John says, the truth is not in us. If that's you, you need to turn to God and acknowledge that there are sins in your life, even if you can't see them. And then you can ask God to show you what they are. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. Lord, show me my hidden faults. But David not only cries out to be forgiven, he also cries out for God to set his feet on right ways. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. One of the worst misunderstandings of the Bible uh, is that the good news uh, is that through Jesus, God forgives us, he rescues us. From our sin and he rescues us from his instructions, from God's instructions. So the good news is that God rescues us from his instructions, from His ways. In other words, the, the message in that view is that forgiveness is kind of a blank check that lets us live however we want to live. We don't have to worry about how to live because God forgives us. But that's not the good news. The good news is that God forgives us wonderful, but then God fills us with his Holy Spirit, unites us with Jesus, empowers us to be able to do what he wills. The good news of the gospel is that God not only forgives us, but he f- frees us from being enslaved to those things that God hates. He frees us to be able to obey his statutes, his laws, his commandments. We tend to think of God's rules uh, sometimes as oppressive and burdensome and so we think it's good news to be set free from them. But that's because we often misunderstand God's commandments, God's law, God's instructions. When we think of the law, we tend to think only of the rules that need to be kept, the things that need to be done. But God's law, even in the Old Testament, didn't just give people the shape of how to live for Him. It also made known the Gospel. It made known God's forgiveness. It pictured forgiveness through the sacrifices that the people had to bring and and through the the cleansing that that they had to go through. In other words, the law didn't just show people how to live. It announced the good news of Jesus in advance. But if we think of God's instructions only as the things that we need to do to make God happy with us, only the things that we need to do so that God accepts us, if we think of God's instructions and God's laws like that, then they'll crush us. Or if we think of God's laws as those things, as a way that we have to make ourselves perfect, will be destroyed. But if we understand that God's instructions include trusting in Jesus' death for our forgiveness, if we understand that God's instructions include trusting in Jesus' resurrection for our transformation into his likeness, if we understand that God's instructions are grounded in the gospel that through Jesus we're reconciled to God and empowered to live for God. If we understand that that is at the heart of God's ways, God's instructions, then we'll see with David that God's laws are not burdensome and oppressive, but full of joy, full of life and light, better than gold and sweeter than honey. They promise us reunion with God and power to live for Him. And a day that God will return to gather his people and to remake the world and make it right through Jesus once and for all. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in creation as it displays your glory and your wonder. And Lord, we confess we don't always see that as clearly as we ought to. Lord, open our hearts to see it today today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. Lord, uh, open our hearts so that every day when we open the curtains and we see the sun rising, we'll be full of joy and thankfulness to you for what you've done. When we look at uh, at our bodies and the way that you've made us and knitted us together, we'll be astounded by your grace and mercy. As science continues to make new discoveries and and discover new things about the world and new particles and new planets and new stars and new galaxies, Lord, we pray that those things would fill our hearts with joy and excitement about who you are and how great you are and how wonderful you are and how wonderful the world is that you have made. But Lord, we pray more that as we open your words every day, as we hear them read, as we hear them preached Sunday by Sunday, as we sing and make music uh, with one another in our hearts to you, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the radiance of your glory, the goodness of your word, the wonder of your instructions, the radiance uh, of the way that you made us and you made the world. Lord, we pray that you would give us life and refreshment, and deep and satisfying joy in them. Lord, we ask that they would be more precious to us than gold and than the finest foods. And Lord, we pray that we would see them for what they are, not just instructions about what to do uh, or about how to live, but Lord, instructions that are grounded in your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, most of all, we ask that you would enable us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection in our place, and the reconciliation which comes Whoever believes in him, Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake.
0: Amen.